Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Let me call our attention one more time to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter number 2. When we come to the book of 1 John, many times, and I've said this before, many times if we're not careful, we'll come to it thinking that John is a teacher standing before his class and saying, take out a half sheet of paper and we're going to have a test. And uh, if you pass this test, then you're all right. And if you don't pass this test, then you failed and you've got to make up the class or you've got to do it over again or you've got to go back and figure out how to get it right. <clears throat> That's not the way John comes to his readers. That's not the letter John sends to his readers. John writes to his readers for the purpose of giving them assurance. At the same time that he is giving them assurance, he is noting those who have gone out from among them. There's a statement John makes in verse number 19 of chapter number 2. We're not going to deal with that this morning, but this statement allows us to understand who John is talking about when he is talking to them but not about them. If you'll recall when we uh, did the introduction and started into the book of 1 John, I made the statement that there are times that John writes to his readers and about his readers. And there are times that John writes to his readers but not about them, but about something else. John is writing to them, but not about them, in verse number 19 where he makes this statement, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. John is writing about those secessionists who were part of the church, but had left the church. And in leaving the church, they went out and came back as self-proclaimed teachers of Christ. They went out, and when they came back, they said they had greater knowledge, they had more wisdom, they had better teachings, they had all of these things they were bringing back, and when they brought these things back, they were causing confusion before the readers that John is writing to. So John is writing to them to give them assurance. 
John is writing to them in a pastoral fashion. He's writing to them because he's concerned about what they're thinking about. He's concerned about what what is being told to them. He's concerned about them. So John starts out, and we've already looked at this, but John starts out saying in verse number 1 of chapter number 1, he starts out saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Well, John picks up here in this section of Scripture, in this paragraph of his letter, if you will, John picks up here in verse number 12, as we know it, John is giving assurances. So we'll pick up here in verse number 12. He says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write unto you, fathers, Because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him. That is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Then John says in verse number 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doth the will of God abideth forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that as we look into these verses of Scripture this morning, may we have a clear picture of what John is saying. May we have a clear picture of what our Savior is, who our Savior is, what our Savior has done on our behalf. Lord, I pray that you would Teach us what we know not. And Lord, that you would make us what we are not. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In chapter number 2, in verse 2, we find that John makes the statement in verse, in fact, in verse number, in chapter number 2, verse number 2, and verse number 3, John makes this statement. Well, three and four. Let's pick up in three and four. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, 
and the truth is not in him. We covered that verse of Scripture last week, and we considered the question, what is his commandments? What is the commandments of God that John is talking about? We looked at chapter number 3, and look there with me in chapter number 3, in verse number 22 and verse number 23, the Bible said, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. John does not leave us wanting, but in verse number 23, he makes this statement, And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. It, it alludes to the commandment that Christ gave when Matthew chapter number 22, when He was talking to the Pharisees, and they asked Him, which is the great commandment? Jesus answers them, and He said, the first is that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all my, thy might. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, the second is likened unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus did not even stop there. He said, on these two hang all of the law and all of the prophets. So if you want to know what God's commandment is, is that you would love God and love your neighbor. Well, John comes to this section of Scripture, and he tells us in verse number 23 what the commandment that he's talking about, and he's talking about that commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. We find in verse number 7 and verse number 8 of chapter number 2 that John told us last week that he was not writing a new commandment, but he was writing a commandment that was from the beginning. What is that commandment? That commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. And then John turns around in verse number 8 and he said, I'm writing unto you a new commandment. A new commandment. He said, and a new commandment write I unto you which thing is true. And here's what we don't need to miss. He said that is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past and the light now shineth. What light is he talking about? Go back over to chapter number 1. What did we find out that God was? God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So if the light is passed away and now the, if the darkness is passed away and now the light shineth, what does that mean? That means that you know God. And you know the light of God. And he tells us that if we know the light of God and our fellowship is with the Father, we'll walk in that light. What is that light? That light is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
The light is the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. We come to this section of Scripture where John has alluded to there being an old commandment and a new commandment. We talked about last week, and I don't want us to miss this. The old commandment and the new commandment. In fact, I asked my wife on the way home last Sunday afternoon, I asked her, I said, was the fact of the old commandment and the new commandment clear? Did, 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 I, did I say it in such a way that it was clear? Because The reason I asked her that question is because I was thinking about something while we were driving home. And this was my thought. And I think this makes it more clear than what I said last week. The, the commandment is the same. The old commandment and the new commandment are the same. There is no difference. The difference is the old commandment could do nothing but command. It could do nothing but tell you what you should do. The difference is at the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, you and I understand that that new commandment that Christ has given where Christ said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and he said the second's like an undead that you love your neighbor as yourself and Christ goes even a step further when he said love your neighbor even as I have loved them. The difference is is that that new commandment has the ability to create within us the ability to do that. It creates within us a new heart. It creates within us a right spirit. Why? Because we are in Him and He is in us. That is the reason John said in verse number 8, he said, And a new commandment I write unto you, that these things, this which thing is true in him and in you. You and I, outside of Christ, do not have the ability to love God nor love our neighbor. But in Christ and Christ in us, the ability is there. The ability is there not because you are able, but because he is able to love them in you. It's not we ourselves, but it is Him. The difference in the new and the old, the old commandment that we see here is the same difference as the law and the gospel. In the old commandment, we see the law. God has told us. Is that not what we were told this morning in the very opening of our service? We are told that we have the law before us. And we understand that within ourselves, we break that law. But in Christ, that law is completed. That law is finished. The gospel we see is that we are in Him and He is in us. And because that that transaction has happened... 
John tells us in verse number 9 down through verse number 11, he tells us about loving our brother. He tells us in verse number 9, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even unto now. He that loveth his, loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion for stumbling. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whether he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Now, I said all of that in introduction so that we can come to the verses of Scripture that we're going to cover today. John is saying all of those things and telling us all of those things to let us know the contrast there so that he can give words of assurance in verse number 12. John says this, verse number 12 down through verse number 14, John is doing nothing but assuring his readers. This is probably the greatest portion of assurance that John gives because he states it over and over and over and over again in these verses. He said, I write unto you, little children, why is he writing? Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. John is offering assurances there that you know you are in Christ because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. John is telling them here. In fact, that word because that we see here over and over in this passage of Scripture, that very same word is, is mentioned over 1,200 times in the New Testament. And over 600 and some odd times in the New Testament, it is, it is translated that. So you could use the word that here because it is the same word. He said, I'm writing unto you little children that your sins are forgiven. I'm writing to you because. I'm writing to you to let you know that your sins are forgiven. And they're not forgiven because you did something. They are forgiven for his name's sake. Yes. My sins were not forgiven. My sins were not forgiven because I woke up one day and decided to take a couple pills of do better. Right. My sins were forgiven for his name's sake. Yes. Right. Right. I can rest assured that my sins are forgiven not because I did better, not because I didn't do better, but they're forgiven for His name's sake. And if they're forgiven for His name's sake, then they're forgiven for good. He said, I write unto you, my, write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. Then He says again, I write unto you fathers. 
because you have known him that was from the beginning. He's telling them again. He said, I'm writing unto you. What did he, what did he say? What did he start out the whole letter with? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, and our eyes have handled, and we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. He's telling them here that they're that telling the fathers, he said, I'm writing unto you because ye have known him that was from the beginning. He's speaking that language of creation again. That which was from the beginning. What happened in the beginning? The, the word was with the God the Father in the beginning. And his, he spoke things in the creation. What did he just get through telling us about in verse number 8? That we are a new creation. That we're a new creature. That we're able to love. Because what? Because we're a new creation. Because we're a new creature. We're able to love. He said, I'm writing unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that was from the beginning. I'm writing unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. John's encompassing this thing, is he not? He's telling them, he said, I'm writing unto you to let you know your sins are forgiven. And that your sins are forgiven because of His namesake. And I'm writing unto you to tell you that you have read about this from the beginning. What is this that you have read about? That He hath created in you the ability to love God and to love your neighbor. And because of that, He said, I'm writing unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. He said, I'm writing unto you little children because you have known the Father. What did did Jesus pray in John 17? He said, I give unto them eternal life. And that eternal life is to know God and know the Son which was sent by the Father. What's he telling them? He's telling them, you are saved. How do you know you're saved? You know you're saved because he forgave your sins for Christ's sake. You know you're saved because you've heard the word of God that told you that your sins were forgiven for His name's sake. And because your sins were forgiven for His name's sake, you have overcome the wicked one. How have you overcome the wicked one? He has no more grasp on you. There remaineth now no condemnation for you. John is writing these assurances. And he, he, says, he says, if that's not enough, let's go back over this. In verse number 14, he said, I write unto you fathers again, because you have known him that was from the beginning. I write unto you young men because ye are strong. But wait a minute. Isn't these the ones that are 
maybe having some doubts. Where, 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 where are we made strong? What does Paul tell us we're made strong in? In our weakness. Where do they get their strength? They get their strength not looking at themselves. When they look at themselves, there will be weakness. They get their strength by looking at God. Looking at what Christ has done. He said, because you have known Him from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you are strong. And the Word of God abideth in you. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm writing unto you because you're strong. Because the Word of God is still abiding in you. He said, John is saying, I'm writing unto you because you didn't go out from among us. It's basically what John's saying. He's saying, I'm writing unto you because you're still here. You're still believing. You're still believing what God said. Listen, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe God sent his son to die for your sins? Do you believe that this morning? Then I can say with assurances from the Word of God, if you're believing that, you're saved by the grace of God. Not just that you read it. Not, this, not just that you, you thought about it, but you're believing that. That is your hope. That is your trust. That is what you cling to. I told my children when they were growing up and they would come to me and have doubts of their salvation, one of the things, by the time we'd get to the end of their conversation, by the time we got to the very end of things, I looked at my children and I would make this statement. If I die and go to hell tomorrow, I'm going to go to hell trusting Christ. but I know I'm not going to hell because I'm trusting Christ. I'm not trusting in anything that I've done. I'm not trusting in any works that I've been able to do. I'm not trusting in my abilities. I'm trusting solely in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the man on the middle cross. Alistair Begg put it this way. He said the man on the middle cross dies and he goes up to heaven and those who are in heaven ask him, how did you get here? He said, I don't know. By what right do you have to be here? He said, I don't know. He said, he, he, he began to question me even further and began to dig deeper. Do you, hey, do you know about the doctrine of Christ? No, I don't know about that. Do you know about this? Do you know about that? He said, the only thing I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. You know the reason you're going to heaven and the reason I'm going to heaven? Because the man on the middle cross said I could come. The reason I'm going to heaven and the reason that I can rest assured is because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus has completed. Not anything that I've done. 
then it looks like, if you don't look correctly, it looks like John jumps right back in to giving a pop quiz. In verse number 15, in verse number 16 and 17, he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There are two loves that are mentioned in verse number 15. There's the love of the world and the love of the Father. These two loves are not compatible. They won't mix. They don't mix. He tells us that. John is still, don't miss this, John is still giving words of assurance. Who is John talking to them about? He is continuing to talk to them about the secessionist. The secessionist that went back out into the world. Not that they just went into the world, but they were embracing the mentality of the world. What were they saying? They were saying, we don't sin. They were saying that we have a greater knowledge. They were saying that we can do it on our own. They were basically saying, and this is what is so wrong with what they were teaching. They were basically saying, we do not need Christ. It wasn't just that they were saying we can do it on our own. The fallacy in that is you are saying, if you're saying you can make it on your own, you can do it on your own, you can accomplish it on your own, you're basically saying, God, I have no need of you. That's the problem. That's the fallacy. That's what causes us to understand that those who say that those who practice that, those who do that are not saved by the grace of God because they're doing it on their own. They're doing it their own way. There are two loves that are mentioned in verse number 15 and they are not compatible. John explains to us in verse number 16 why they are not compatible. In verse number 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The reason they are not compatible is because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the Father. They're contrary. The love of the Father loves God and loves His neighbor. The love of the world and the love of the flesh and the pride of life looks inward to 
their own selves. They're not looking to God. I told you that's the problem. That's what John's trying to get them to see. The problem is they're looking inward instead of looking to Christ. But John gives assurances in verse number 17. He gives assurances of this. He said, the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But Look at what he says. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What are we to do with that last statement that John makes in verse number 17? The will of God is mentioned here. What did Jesus come to do? He told us he came to do the will of his Father. Is that not right? Yes. He came to do the will of his Father. And Jesus told us what his commandment to us was to believe. The Bible said the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The will of God for the Son of God was to obey God. The will of God for us is to believe it. The will of God for the Son is to do the will of God in redemption. What did Jesus say on the cross in John chapter 19 and verse number 30? It is finished. What's finished? I've done all that the Father bid me to do. It's over. It's done. I've completed it. It's finished. He's done the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? The will of the Father from Genesis chapter number 1 to Revelation chapter number 20 at the end of the book. What is the will of of God? The will of God is to save a people. And Jesus finished that work on the cross. He said it is finished. The will of God for us is that we believe that it was finished. And not only that it was finished, don't miss this. It's not only that we believe it is finished, but we believe it is finished for us. Not anything else I've got to do. Not anything else I've got to accomplish. I, I, I don't have to do this for that to happen. Christ has done it all. That's right. I don't, I don't, I, everything necessary for me to be reconciled to God has been done. Everything necessary for God's wrath to be quenched on my behalf has been done. Everything necessary for my justification has been done. Everything necessary for my sanctification has been done. Everything necessary for my glorification 
has been done. And it has been done in Christ and in Christ alone. John is continuing to offer his readers assurances. Why is he assuring them? He's saying, are you still believing? You say, I don't know when. I, I don't know when I began to believe. Do you believe now? You say, I don't know when that time was. I can't go back to a time. I can't go back to a place. I can. It happened 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. The question we must ask is, do we believe? And do we believe it for us? Did Christ die for you? Did Christ work the work of reconciliation for you? Did Christ work the work of redemption for you? Did Christ work the work of sanctification for you? Did Christ work the work of glorification for you? And the answer is yes. Our command to do the will of God is to believe that Christ has completed the work and rest in the assurance that the work's done and that work's done in Christ. Let's pray.